Hi, I'm your host, Veronica Thompson, and welcome back to Above the Mean, a podcast about individuals actively pursuing their passions and pushing themselves to be better than the standard in order to stand out. This episode is probably one of my most hilarious episodes yet. I was literally cracking up the entire interview. I truly also learned so much, not only about the Dom world, but also redefining what confidence is and taking an in-depth look at the world of sex education. I mean, we talk about it all. So without further ado, let's dive in. Today, I'm joined by Lola Jean, a sex educator, mental health professional, wrestler, pro dom, writer, and world record holder for volume solo squirting. Lola does an amazing and refreshing job of educating individuals about sex, as well as pushing them past what they think they're capable of. Lola, thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. You have lived quite the life. I just love how versatile you are. (laughs) It seems like you've dipped your toes in so many different ventures. Have you ever tried something and realized, eh, that's not really for me? I mean, probably definitely. That's a lot of the way that you learn. I feel like that was the way I learned a lot of things at first. And now I'm a little bit more educated. So I'm probably a lot more hesitant when trying new (laughs) things. But I was like thinking about this and I feel like it's more of the things that surprise me that I do like, as opposed to surprise me that I don't, um, that like Mm. sticks with me more. Okay. What have you tried that you thought you weren't going to like, but you ended up loving? Uh, God, it's like, it's so hard. Cause like, I'm sure there's so many things, but thinking about it, but I'm, I'm sure that's how like a kidnapping fantasy started. Um, or, or, or especially things I think more on the submissive end, or I'm just trying, I'm like trying to think of different things within BDSM, which is like, hmm, didn't know I'd find that hot. Um, fist, I mean, I haven't done fisting yet, but that was one where I didn't have an interest in it until I heard someone talking about it, um, vaginal fisting specifically. And I'm like, I think I want to try this thing. And that's usually, honestly, I don't even have to try things to realize I might be interested in it. It's talking to someone who like lives and breathe it. And I'm like, Oh wait, that, that actually sounds really hot now that you're saying it. (laughs) No, I could definitely see that. I feel like it's the way that people talk about it. Like when you can see their excitement lit up, like you're like, Ooh, okay. Maybe I want to try this out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to think where to begin, I guess, chronologically, how did you get into the field of being a sex educator? So it wasn't intentional. Um, I didn't intend to disappoint my parents every day, but now I do. (laughs) Um, But it was, uh, I mean, I've always been interested in sex and very curious in nature, both from like a trial and error standpoint, but like, you know, I feel like the way people are interested in engineering of like, how does this thing work? I'm like that, except with like sex and kink and psychology um, and like human interactions. So I always had an, an interest that was there, but it wasn't until I had quit my job in advertising. Um, I was waitressing and then I got fired from that and I needed a way to make money that I didn't hate. And then I just, because I was exploring like the sex and kink positive community in my personal life, I was like, maybe there's some jobs here that I can do, but I still didn't intend on like being an educator. Um, I didn't have like, it felt like more egoism involved to do that. So I was working for someone who did education. And that's when I was realizing like, "Mm, I don't agree with what you're saying. My experience doesn't feel represented here. 
this feels like it's really narrowing people into this kind of gender stereotype. So I started doing that on my own kind of out of this frustration. And then it kind of helped me realize of like, Hey, I'm good at this. Um, I enjoy doing this. And there's a lot more that I know that I like, you know, didn't think I was an expert in. And, you know, with a lot of it, it's, I don't have to always be an expert in something. I just have to approach it in a certain manner and present it in a certain manner um, to get people just really to think about things in a new light. Yeah, 100% because that's how you gain new perspective. So that's interesting that you were basically listening in and you were just like, hmm, I don't feel seen. I don't feel accurately represented. And so like, let me go and kind of approach it from a perspective where I can feel like this is actually valuable to me, you know? Yeah. And I'm just a contrarian by nature. So anytime like that I see just one side being represented heavily, or I think especially as someone who at that time and in general really rebuked like men's desirability or seeing that as a form of value and just like really giving the middle finger to it, it really still felt like everything was made for the palatability of men. And it still is. (laughs) And it still is. I mean, honestly, the sex industry and the sex education industry has changed so much from the time I entered it. And that wasn't like that long ago. So I, it is, there is a glimmer of hope for the future because of that. And I feel like it's interesting because I feel like before sex was such a taboo topic, like people would clam up, they feel awkward talking about it. Like people basically wouldn't really talk about sex, like maybe with your close friends, but you wouldn't really be out in public. Like, have you always been this transparent with sex or just in general? Like, are you just a very transparent person? Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm horrible at lying first off. Um, but I've always, I mean, I've always been a person who values shock value in terms of like, like friend groups and conversations. Like it was always like, Oh, Lola always has those wild stories that were just like my sexcapades or just random things that ended up happening or that I involved myself in. Um, but I've, I've always been open about it. And I think honestly, I, to a fault really romanticized like the slut narrative that was in media. So if you think of like, I don't know if you watch like one tree Hill, but Brooke's character romanticized the slut narrative. Um, and there was like one of those characters in every show that you watch and, you know, things always work out for them in a certain way, or it's like, you know, they push and then someone else pulls and blah. And like, you know, it doesn't work out that way in real life. We need to stop like, being a slut is fine and good and wonderful, but we need a different representation of it. Um, So I think like by idolizing that narrative, that was, you know, that was a person who's incredibly open, um, who doesn't give a fuck. And I think that was something that I always kind of embodied if it was for the shock factor or just to like searching for an identity really. And like, obviously that's shifted now. I like, I know who I am now, but man, at the time I really did not. And I'd like, you know, I want, I, at the time I tried to try on this identity of just like being a slut and you know, that's not an identity really. No, but I like that. Cause who hasn't tried on various different identities, especially when you're growing up. Cause I know for me, I didn't watch one tree Hill, but I did watch this show called skins. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, yeah, with yeah. it. And mm-hmm. so Effie loved her, idolized everything about her. And that show very much glorizes like sex and drugs. And I just thought these kids were like the coolest beings in the world. Like I was like, I want to be everything about them. So Mm -hmm. I definitely do understand where you're coming about, like trying on different hats, trying on different identities, kind of seeing which sticks. 
And that's kind of what I was curious about, because I know you also do dominatrix work. And so I wanted to know when you take on that persona for dominatrix, are, do you feel like you're in a separate like alter ego or like a separate persona or is it all Lola? No, it's, it's all Lola. It's not, um, when you put on a persona, you lose sight of yourself and you'll probably lose sight of the person in front of you a bit. So it still has to be rooted in you. And how I like to describe it in my like doming 101 classes that your dom persona is a combination of who you are and who you want to be. So it still has to be rooted in you and what makes you, you. And a lot of the times it's like permission to be the you, you feel like you're not allowed to be in society. So like, if you have to be all buttoned up or like super femme, um, then it's like, be the opposite of that. I've told that I'm too harsh and too blunt all the time. And my Dom persona is so harsh and so blunt. And I just laugh and revel in it. So it's, it's kind of an unbridled version of yourself, but it's giving you this permission to, to be whatever it is that, that you want, but it's still going to be rooted in you at the end of the day. And like, I mean, I guess technically it couldn't be, but I think the more successful Doms, it's still rooted in themselves because there's, there still is that like human aspect of connection you're trying to get with a dom yeah so at your core it really is your essence and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna backtrack just a little for those listeners who don't know dom dom world or what a dominatrix is Uh, a dominatrix is a woman who takes on the dominant role in sometimes bdsm activities but it's also simply a woman who physically or psychologically dominates her partner and so i'm curious who introduced you into the dominatrix world yeah, so I would consider a dominatrix or a pro dom um, as just someone who does this professionally for an exchange of money, goods, or something of that nature. Versus, like in your personal life, you're just a dom. You're not a dominatrix or a pro dom. And I I do both of those, um, which kind of started happening at the same time because I guess to your very first question, I met an individual who I really got on with, and this person really liked verbal and physical humiliation. Um, and I was like, I don't understand it, but you seem really jazzed about it. Let me do some digging. And like through doing that and my, you know, simultaneous journey with like exploring kink, but thinking I was a submissive, then I was like, oh, wow, it turns out I'm great at this and I love it. And it's tapping into all of the skills or I, I love doing extensive work. I like to work for my kink. I like to do extensive, like psychological background in order to get to the place that we want to get to. And with verbal and physical humiliation, which, you know, humiliation is a harsh word, but there's, there's so much layer to it that I really enjoy. So that was how I got into domination in general, but that was also in that period I was telling you about where I did not have money and I needed money. So um, being a dominatrix was one of the gigs that I picked up at the same time. And I also picked up doing fetish wrestling as well, in addition to like assisting with a sex educator and like probably a bunch of other jobs in this realm. So it all sort of happened at the same time. Um, And it was more of a case of, okay, I I enjoy this. I'm good at it. Let's see if I can do it for money. But I still very much had a distinction. I think from talking with a friend who was a stripper um, that I didn't want to ruin it in my personal life. So I had to learn and separate, okay, what's fun with strangers and what do I want to reserve for like more intimate moments with partners within BDSM? Okay. So it was not like where you had separate ego or alter egos, but it was essentially just dividing your two worlds. Like you had your work world, which was the Dom world. And then you had Lola, your personal life. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of the same thing. <laughs> so There's a little blur. Yeah, and it's like the, it, it doesn't feel like I was merging the worlds. It kind of feels like everything was happening at once. So while I was exploring this, this was also an opportunity that had come up. Um, and both of them allowed me to explore myself in different ways. And, and honestly, like pro-doming is, it's kind of like a boot camp. So it was what I was already doing, but on steroids. And I feel like doming is, I mean, a new term for me where I haven't, I was first exposed to it when I was watching Pose and I saw Electra who she was a dom and that just kind of, I feel like exposed me to a whole other world. And now there's so many other shows that have dom work. And I feel like it's very much coming more in towards the light. Cause I feel like beforehand, it wasn't something that a lot of people knew about really. Yeah. And they only just started employing like actual sex workers and pro doms to consult on those things. Cause for the longest time they didn't. And so it would be these like inaccurate or just like over dramatized portrayals of doms of what, like, you know, we want it to be in our mind. And the thing is, is that like dominators relationship with clients and sessions are so private and personal. It, like you can never be able to like be a fly on the wall within them or understand that because of how different they are. But I do think that like some shows they're starting to get better at it when like literally only when they employ pro doms. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm have you ever had like any crazy requests that you've gotten while being a dom? Oh yeah. I mean, every, I mean, it's like, what, is it a request that I do? Um, cause like everyone, when you start doming gets the castration request, which like, what is that? Uh, uh, just chopping off someone's penis, which is like illegal. Um, and you know, I, and I'm like, I'll do a role play. We can put a hot dog in your pants and snip, snip that off. But like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Or like people that want permanent damage to their balls. Like that's, you always get like the people who are like, oh, this person's new. They're not going to know that I do this to everyone. Um, or time wasters or things like that. Um, I, and I think a lot of people, it's like the craziest requests are usually the people that are just getting off being like keyboard jockeys. Um, and they don't actually want to do it. Like someone wanted me to digest them, like physically cut up their body and eat them. It's like, obviously that's not happening. <laughs> I was like, I don't see how you could really enjoy that if you're already being digested, but you know, to each their own. It's like, if it's, I mean, I understand the fantasy of it and we can certainly talk through that and we can pretend and we can role play and like, we can start training me by like me eating a bunch of steak and I can send you videos of it. Like there's plenty, like I love the off the wall things because it need, you need more creativity because you can't actually do a lot of these things. So to kind of get around it. Um, but I guess those were ones where it's like, hmm, that's a new one because like, you know, if you like when people tell me about their you know, Marvel fantasy or some kind of secret agent kidnapping thing. I'm like, yeah, this is, this sounds like fun. So usually it's the weird stuff that's really exciting because you can build that around that more than just like, Hey, I just want to do a thing. I'm not really sure. Let me know. Like <laughs> that's not a lot of information. Yeah. Like it's very vague. And I know when I was doing research, I came across your kink quiz on your website and I actually got a uh, image validation, which I guess mm -hmm. essentially is being desired makes me feel most at ease, which I could say is very true. Cause I used to tell my therapist, I'm like a woman siren. I love for men to want me. And then I want nothing really to do with them. Yeah. It's so it's a, it's a motivation. So it's like behind things that you do, what would maybe be the desired feeling or what kind of loop do we need to close for you to feel at ease? And 
image validation and service oriented are the two by far most like common ones that someone would get. So image validation can manifest itself, you know, submissively or dominantly or not at all. Um, and that would just be because like, you know, we have a society that's just so critical of the way we look, or even if it's like, you know, even if it's just being good enough or a good person or something like that. And so the image validation can manifest itself as like worship of like goddess worship, or it could be of objectification of like, you're a dirty, hot slut. Um, so there's so many different ways it can go, but it's being, it's, it, it does, it completely involves desire, desirability in some format. Do you, what would you say your kink or your fantasies are? Um, mine would probably, mine's power play. Um, mainly I'm not a service oriented person at all. I actually don't vibe super well with service oriented people, but I love the constant exchange of power because I'm also a brat as well. But usually the reason that I'm drawn to things or that I get excited about it is because of like, you know, a subverted power dynamic or some sort of, con I like a constant exchange of power, not just once. It's kind of like who was in control, who's on top. Um, like a, a big fantasy of mine is that like, I mean, I have, I have a lot of damsley ones where I'm like, being held captive but okay. then I, I always have to have the control back at some point which then I kind of willingly give away so it's like okay I'm being held captive you're the guard but you're the guard to some other person who is having me be held captive so even though you're kind of liable you're also sort of saving me while also being my captor at the same like it's it's complicated and that's why I love it <laughs> no but I love I was just gonna say I love the complication to it because it makes yeah. it that much more interesting <laughs> it's like these little things that I have to make in order for it to be okay in my mind um just mostly because I hate men so much <laughs> <laughs> don't we all know right. um, <laughs> I'm going through an interesting period with men I'm actually just coming off of a breakup so I'm just like eh woman power. I love it. Very femme pro right now. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm dating a man and I love him, but I also hate men and he understands that. And he does <laughs> too. Uh, so it's like, you know, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. And I, I think that's a, an issue I see with a lot of people is like just permission to hate men and like hates this like word that we don't want to use, but it's the only accurate like description of what I feel the same way we can be like, I hate white people. And it's like, cool. We know that not every single white person sucks, but like as a collective, yeah, like we're kind of over it. But you can also love and hate something at the same time, oh, which yeah. is something I'm learning. So I yeah. feel like it's okay to the lines between the two can easily be blurred. I love individual men. I hate them as a collective. <laughs> yes, you can I think only you can... do that with majorities. That is the rule. You can only do that with the majority. <laughs> I love that. Actually, I feel like I want that on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, what have you learned from being a dom? Because I feel like a lot of the principles of BDSM can really be used in real life scenarios. Honestly, one of the biggest thing it's taught me is more of like, helping and aiding my relationship with other femmes. Um, just because I, I had like some really bad friendship situations with other women and with, and I know it's different within different types of sex work, but within the pro-dom community, there's this idea or the thought that like, there is enough money to go around. And if someone is interested in you as a pro-dom and like, then I'm not their cup of tea or let's like try to make each other money. Cause when one of us wins, we all win. And there's so much just care and camaraderie because like no one else is going to take care of us we need the community to keep us together and to help keep each other safe and provide references and create more opportunities and like all these different things so I think mostly it's helped heal 
my relationship with other femmes. Um, but beyond that, it's really taught me a lot about power um, and our misconceptions of power because power is very quiet um, and power is about being comfortable in discomfort. And it's all of these things that you think it's not, you think it's so loud, you think it's confidence, but it's about being okay, being okay, not being okay. And understanding that you don't have to know everything um, you can have imposter syndrome. Like you don't have to know what's happening next. You can be like, I don't know this thing that we're, and like, it's fine. And you can still maintain power. Um, so it just takes away a lot of those misconceptions. I had no idea that the Dom world was so kind of oriented in community. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's different in different cities as well, but I think that it really, you know, orients and leans itself that way, especially as like FOSTA-SESTA laws came into place. There were less online spaces for us to keep each other safe. So it really had to go through whisper networks. Um, but that's, you know, there are still a lot of things that are gate kept because I think it's the community is precious and we want to make sure anyone that's coming into it um, is for real. But at the same time, then that also kind of gatekeeps safety. So um, with the seven days of domination, which is like a marathon um, education event that's for anyone, not just pros, um, but we provide it as low cost education for pros. And that's also really based in community of like, we teach each other, we help each other, um, we need each other. So, you know, in places where you may be in the middle of nowhere and have no community, we really want to help bridge that gap. Um, Cause even not in pro worlds, but in just kink, like you need community to survive. You need community to vet you. You need community to find out about the, you know, whisper network things that are going on. Um, and you need community. So you don't just rely on partners to like talk to about kink stuff. Yeah. Like you want to be able to express that with an open and transparent group. Who's going to not judge. And I feel like that's the most important thing. Yeah. It, it puts a lot of pressure on individuals when there isn't community involved. Yeah, most definitely. And I was, I'm glad you actually brought out your seven days of Dom. Cause I was going to talk to you about that. I saw that y'all donate a percentage of your proceeds to the SW or can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So SW stands for, um, sex work. Sometimes we have to be very careful with the sensors, which sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Um, but cause you know, there's, there's different laws within sex work. Um, but yeah, different sex worker charities. We pick one every time we do a live series. Um, so we've donated to red canary song. We've donated to glitz. Um, we donated to the whole history project. So just a lot of different things. I think we actually just had a meeting today and decided on the charity for this next round in April. But, um, you know, part of what we do is providing a really hefty discount to sex workers to provide them that low cost education and to build that community. Um, but then being able to, you know, give back because as the three of us who run this are all sex workers creating a resource for sex workers, for people that are interested in getting into it or people that, you know, need that access that's often gate kept. Um, I mean, it, some, a lot of times it feels ick just like, all taking all of the money. So that's a really big part of including community, but that's a really big part of kind of what we stand for um, is it's building community and giving back to sex workers. And I love that. I think that's beautiful because not only are you trying to educate people, but you're also giving back and helping so that the next generation can see and like hopefully do the same. It's like that pay it forward kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's almost like we're doing our own like 
socialism or subsidizing by charging non-sex workers like the regular rate, which is still pretty cheap for what you are getting. You're getting like seven hours worth of classes within a week. Um, so we, you know, we charge the regular rate and that kind of helps subsidize the costs for other sex workers. Even though we had a baby dom boot camp, which is a boot camp for people new to pro-domination. And we had an individual that we were going to give away one scholarship, but somebody paid. So we had two extra scholarships to give. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. And then, so we were able to offer three people like free weekends. See, that's really, really cool because it's not only you guys giving back, but it's everyone in the community is seeing the asset that this is. And they're like, they want to give and like extend that arm to help someone else be able to become educated and kind of become better in this, in, in this field. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm curious to know what your upbringing was like. Has your family always been very open with sex and things of that nature? Uh, I mean, like, yes and no. I don't come from a sex negative background. So there wasn't like a lot of shaming around sex, but it wasn't like an open environment where we talked about this regularly. Like, like I said, like I'm disappointing my parents, like we've gotten over it. We've had conversations, but like, it's still a very tough one. And like, they're not chomping at the bit to tell people their daughter's a sex educator. Like they know what I do and I'm not going to let them shame me for it. Um, But yeah, growing up, like, I think I really want to talk about this stuff, but my parents didn't, but it, it, at the same time, it wasn't negative. It was just kind of like, you know, it was like, don't ask, don't tell <laughs> in a way. Yes. Like, yeah. Like how I was saying before, it's just one of those like taboo things where you're not very open unless you're asked about it. Yeah. Or even then, like, I remember, I remember my mom finding condoms in my room. I remember telling her that like, Hey, I had sex. I did that. Um, when I was like 16 or 17 and it, it was just kind of like awkward like okay <laughs> like she didn't really want to talk about it I did um and I I don't know I think there was like because I was really like fantasizing the slut narrative um as well too I think there was just an unease about it but there but again there wasn't a specific shaming um I, and I don't have any kind of like religious shaming onto thinking of like what I was doing was wrong so I thankfully I don't come from that background of it but I didn't I think I mean unless you had like really hippie parents I don't think that many people at least in my generation grew up in a sex positive household I feel like that was a term that's been more recent yeah for sure because the the first thing that comes to mind is that show on Netflix sex education yeah I don't know if you see yes where Mm -hmm. his mom is a sex therapist and that's why he brings that type of knowledge with him to school and he kind of helps his classmates with that which I think is really cute and it's cool because I feel like for me growing up sex wasn't something I talked about really with like my friends or my family like thinking back now, like I realized, I don't think I ever had the birds and the bees talk with my parents. Like, I think they just kind of expected my sex ed class to do that. And and even then, like, I mean, it wasn't until my mid twenties that I didn't see like the purpose of sex or like the, the feeling you get out of it to be desirability. It was really often about like being desired of like this guy at the time was like, this man wants to have sex with me. I feel hot. I feel desired. That's what I'm getting out of it. It wasn't about like, what do I like? What is my body? Like you kind of convince yourself that my body likes this, but really I was deriving all of my satisfaction from this feeling of being desired and being this like object for men to consume. And so now since doing Dom work where you just kind of have a more confidence and like, you're more knowledgeable about sex, what is it that you desire that you want to get out? 
So, I mean, within doming, it's a lot more of a psychological simulation. And I think specifically because of my background and like feeling like I was being consumed by men and an object for them. Um, I'm like, I'm very hands-off. I was just talking to someone who was interested in fetish wrestling. And I was telling them how I don't wear a bikini because my boobs are going to pop out and no one, no one gets to see my boobs and no one gets to fetishize them because they were just fetishized so often. And I just hide them like most chances that I get. Um, so a, a lot of things that it, it's kind of like just to counteract a lot of the things growing up. Um, but in terms of, I think what, what doming has done is it's really opened the eyes of creativity when it comes to sex. Um, it's opened the eyes of like what type of thing constitutes sex, what type of things constitutes enjoyment, because so much of BDSM doesn't involve genital stimulation. It doesn't involve orgasm. Um, it doesn't even always necessarily in, uh, involve like physical arousal. So it's, it's so many different things that we can find like enjoyable or just feel like we're getting like, you know, an invisible hug a little bit too. So it's really opened my eyes that way, which helps take a lot of this pressure off as well. Yeah. I was going to agree with you. I feel like it's definitely more of a psychological aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, that there's a reason, so many reasons we can find something enjoyable. It can be enjoyable physically. It can be enjoyable psychologically. It can be both. It can be fun because it's exhausting. Uh, like there's so many different reasons that we need, but I think the other thing is that when you're doming, you constantly have to check in with yourself. Am I okay with this? Is this person okay? All these different things. And I'm much more conscious now in like any given moment of, do I want this? Am I okay with this? Am I indifferent to it? Exactly. And one thing that I kind of want to circle back to is I know I've heard you mention your femme wrestling. Can you talk and elaborate a little bit on that? What exactly? Because I feel like for me, when I think of female wrestling, I have glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling that in mind, and then just like the WWE, but what, what is femme wrestling? So it's, so it's fetish wrestling and that's just like an easier way to determine it or to kind of denote it. But the glow girls were some of the original fetish wrestlers because people that were interested in this, the internet didn't exist, but these ladies were on TV. So these girls were taking sessions from their hotel rooms while they were filming. So they like, they did a lot of this and it's, uh, you know, it's really, I mean, I was going to say it's, it's, uh, moved a lot since then, but also it hasn't because I feel like the main wrestling website, I feel like someone made the internet, they made the site, never touched it again. They're very, very <laughs> archaic, but it works. Um, but fetish wrestling is my main niche within domination. So I pretty much almost exclusively do fetish wrestling or things that are adjacent to it um, with that. And it's not WWE. Um, it pulls a lot from jujitsu and MMA because those are movements that have a lot of control and are often very close. And a lot of those movements can be really erotic in nature um, as well too. So it's for people like that enjoy fetish wrestling or people that enjoy being like physically overpowered by someone who is stronger or believably stronger or like the kicker of it is especially if they look like they're small and tiny but you can use jujitsu to completely crush people. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of different segments within it but I would think like probably the most relevant example would be ultimate surrender, which is a porn category within kink.com. And a lot of what they're doing there is fetish wrestling. Um, it's definitely way more sexual than what happens in fetish wrestling because it's porn. Um, but that's like, you know, a lot of them are using actual MMA and jujitsu within those. Um, but they're also like trying to get each other naked and like they get points for doing sexual things too. <laughs> Do you remember your first 
like your first match, like what you were feeling, like how, how it went. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So when I decided that this was something I was going to do, I quickly realized that like, I am very strong, but I'm also very small. And if I'm going to be wrestling people that are larger than me, I need to learn some sort of MMA. So that's when I started training with LT, who's now my co-instructor for play fighting and choking courses and things like that. And it, it took a little while. It was like a puzzle piece or like a Rubik's cube where you're just like waiting for it to kind of click in. And my first session, the person I wrestled, they outweighed me by maybe like five pounds. So we were really, they were like a light person. And I used that to my advantage and kind of just muscled them around the whole time. And kind of the technique went out the window because I was having a hard time puzzle piecing it together. And at the end of it, I think they got the upper hand on me. Parts of my body I didn't know existed hurt for like the next three (laughs) days. I was like, I can't keep doing that. I need to get better at this jujitsu thing. But also, um, that's why I will never take payment the way I did on Venmo again, because they canceled it afterwards. I didn't get paid for that session. And I was like, learn my lesson first time. Fool me Um, once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Never going to happen. Yeah. But it was also a lot of fun. I had a ton of fun too. And I feel like, what did you do to prepare? Because I feel like for that, you have to be really quick, like on your toes and quick thinking, like what goes through your mind when you're in those types of matches? Well, not, not as much because it's actually about slow and controlled movement. And it's very much, it is like a puzzle of like, you have to wait for them to give you a certain part of their body or make, it's about making shapes and making smaller shapes and changing your shapes um, or creating more space or lessening the space, um, depending on what you're doing. I start everything usually from my knees um, just for, to eliminate injury risk. So, you know, there's not that much like running around. There's no slamming or anything like that. It's just a lot of slow controlled movement and chokes, um, things, things of that nature, because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have health insurance and I can't, I can't get hurt. Um, so it has to, and and like, I've become a little bit more injury and risk averse as, as I've been doing this for longer, I used to take competitive sessions left and right. Now I only take them with people I've sessioned with before just to assure of safety. Um, but it's less about being nimble and quick. And it's just more about planning the next move and really like what, the more you do it, the more you learn and the more situations you put yourself in. And I'll still remember the first time I like finally got a move I had been practicing in a session and it was like a complicated move too. It didn't make sense for a first one, but I messaged my trainer and I was like, Oh my God, I did the Americana. I did it. And they tapped and they like cried or or whatever it was. Um, but it was just like, so exciting. It's like when you, you know, you practice like a dance move and you finally like stick the landing or something like that. So like rewarding. Yeah. And even now too, like I have enough tools in my tool belt to, you know, survive and get by. Could I get better? Absolutely. Do I feel like it? Not really. Um, and using that I'm able to even learn things on the fly with my clients. Sometimes my clients will teach me new moves or things like that too. Um, but I have the things that I need, the things that I like, and, you know, I have friends that are black belts and brown belts and they, they can take the really tough ones. So growing up, cause it sounds like you're very active. Were you active? Like as a kid growing up, like, did you do different sports? Like, did you do karate or jujitsu when you were young? I, I did team sports. I didn't really do any individual sports, but I was, I was very sporty. Um, I was very competitive. I'm still competitive. And I played, my main sport was field hockey, but I played every sport under the sun. Field hockey was just the, one of the ones that I was better at. It was always defense. 
um, very tenacious person. And even like, I'm really into sports, just like watching them betting on them. Like I'm, and apparently I get louder when I bet on them too. I'm very competitive and this is an outlet for being competitive. And I get to trash talk, which is like (laughs) something I was doing well before I started wrestling. Feel like, so it sounds, are you from up North? Uh, I'm from Baltimore. Okay. That makes sense. I'm from New York. And so I was like, I know only Northern sport or Northern States have field hockey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That feels like a really like, it's like a preppy sport or also like an Australian sport. (laughs) (laughs) What are the two? (laughs) Yeah. It's like Europe's really big on it, but yeah. In North America, it's like Northeast. Lola, I feel like a lot of the activities or ventures that you've done is things where you're in control. And I want to know about when you weren't in control. Can you tell us one of your most embarrassing stories? I hate not being in control. (laughs) How could you tell? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm like, okay, embarrassing sexual stories or just an embarrassing story? Wild card. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't mind hearing both. So if you got them. Yeah, I was like, I feel like at this point, like sexually, not a whole lot would embarrass me because I'm like, body does weird things, man. Um, I, I guess like it would just be more of like getting walked in on in a certain place. But I mean, I feel like my most my most embarrassing story was when a time that I shit myself while I was unconscious. Uh, and I think like for anyone, it's just like no matter if I was conscious or not, like shitting your pants is probably going to be up there in terms of embarrassment. <laughs> Um, and I was in college too. So I'm like young. I don't have a lot of confidence. This thing happened. I, I don't think I'd ever shit my pants before either. And I had to like, like figure this out while I had like fainted and then like woken up. Luckily, luckily I was wearing those like athletic shorts that had the liner in them. So it was like a really easy cleanup. But then I was also just like naked from the bottom down, just Winnie the Pooh, um, with, with my shit shorts in the trash. Um, but yeah, that was probably, I felt so out of control. I'm literally like naked from the waist down, uh, like don't really know anyone that well, like needed to like crawl out of the bathroom and like yell for help. And yeah, that was, I, I don't like feeling out of control, especially now, but like, you know, when I was a lot younger than two, like I, I'm just thinking back on it now, it's like, no, I could have not seen the light in any part of that situation. <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, were there a lot of people around when this happened? No, that was when I was at college at Louisiana State University and everyone usually went home on the weekends because they were all local. So there was also like no one there, which took the amount of time I needed to like get help. And I think eventually they put me in an ambulance, which I was also not very happy about. Um, also, that bill was huge. <laughs> I don't if, if they say send an ambulance, don't do it. Just I just Uber. learned this out. Like I have always thought ambulances were free. And then I remember my ex telling me one time, like, no, you have to pay. Like he was like, if something happens, do never call 911. And I never understood that until like uh, we looked so up how up. much an ambulance bill is. Yeah. I, that like really scarred me to the point where like, oh, here's another embarrassing moment that actually is kind of related to sex. There was someone I was seeing who was probably not a good person, um, but they had like, sh- like squirt shamed me and they had kind of been squirt shaming me, but I think like they were in my room and they're like, oh, it smells like piss in this joint or something. And I, 
I also, I, I don't think I'm the best at cleaning in general. And that's like an insecurity of mine. Um, and I, I just feel like a failure there. I'm getting, getting better. But so I had lit a candle from fucking urban outfitters. <laughs> and I, when I think when I went to go to the bathroom and come back, candle went on fire. Um, the tin of it went on fire. There was a fire in my room. I was freaking out at first. I like put water on it. Don't do that. Then I got a towel and like fanned everything out, but it was just smoke everywhere. But when the fire department came in my head, I was like, oh no, not another giant bill. And I, I was so embarrassed. And like this whole fire crew came in and I was like, at the end, I was like, how much is this going to cost? They're like, oh, it's your tax dollars. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh. I have a fucking like shame, like smudge on the wall from that fire. <laughs> that I've tried to put things over, but it like, man, that thing just looks me in the face all the time. So I take it. You never like candles anymore. Like that's just a no go. No. no. And it was something that like, I feel like my mom was like, don't light candles. You'll set the house on fire. And I was like, I'm going to be a rebel. I'm like, you know, it turns out she was right. Uh, <laughs> but I also learned about investing in nice candles and what is the container. Cause it was the, the container was the reason for it. It's not like the flame caught onto something, the tin caught on fire. Oh, oh, how interesting. I've never heard of like the end of the candle. So I'm also never going to let a candle get to like a third down trash. Ooh, (laughs) see, now I'm thinking I do have a candle right now in my room. That's like a third down. I was like, I should probably throw this away now. Don't call ambulances, throw out your candles. (laughs) (laughs) Or I could wait for the fire department because like I said, I'm from New York. So I love me some firemen. I remember for my birthday two years ago, my best friend actually surprised me with a stripper and he dressed like a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I totally lost my train of thought of where I was going. And I love that. <laughs> no. Um, whoa. Uh, one thing that I wanted to know was you just seem like such a confident, strong woman, Lola. Growing up, did you have very many like strong female role models? Hmm. I don't think so. I think that I'm like, cause I'm like, would it be in my family? Would it be in the media or something like that? And like I said, I kind of like idolize the different slut narratives and those characters, but, or like people that were contrarian in nature, but like, I don't really think so. I don't think I had people I look to as role models in general. Um, but also like social media wasn't as much of a thing as there is now. So there wasn't really access to that many people besides like celebrities. No, that's true. That's really true. Speaking of celebrities, one thing that just came to mind was I've been really watching um, the Pam and Tommy series. Oh, yeah. on Hulu. Have you seen it? Yeah, that stuff's my jam. I love that. It's really <laughs> also, interesting. I love um, what's the, the Lily James, the person who plays Pam. I adore her. She seems really cool. And I had never, I had heard of the name Pamela Anderson, but I never knew what her story was. So to watch it and kind of see like her perspective, because it really is more so focusing on her. It's really interesting to see just like how during this time period when the internet is just now coming to light and you have this first ever celebrity sex scandal that basically took the world by storm. Yeah. And I mean, not only that, but it's like, it's, it's, it was stolen. It was like very, very illegal. And, you know, now you have like Kim Kardashian, Paris Hilton that are probably leaking their own for like fame and glory, but like, man, like what an invasion of privacy and something you never like. And it's the thing too, was like, it doesn't even matter if she posed for Playboy in the past. Like this was stolen. No, 1000%. And I feel like I didn't 
realize just like how demoralizing it was for her just because these men are basically trying to make her feel guilty for filming it when it was just supposed to be like an intimate moment between her husband like no one was ever supposed to see it and it just goes to show how back in that time period and even a little bit still today that men try to make women feel very guilty about being sexual and just being themselves and it's very normal and I hate that that's the narrative that seems to be portrayed a lot or it's like it's making it the fault of them so it's just like well don't put yourself in that situation if you don't want these things to happen and it's like why are we not blaming the person who stole the video and leaked it on the internet why are we always like why is it always femme on femme crime like again men suck giving everyone permission to hate them you know for all these different things it's like we keep on blaming people for putting themselves in situations instead of being like hey something messed up occurred exactly and it's like taking responsibility is just like that's not that's not what it's about like it's about this woman who needs to feel seen needs to feel heard and she doesn't feel comfortable like the whole world has seen her tits like the whole world has seen her have sex like that's never something that she wanted yeah and it's like everything like because she is a sex symbol she can't be anything more than that so even in her like day-to-day job they're like "Mm, we were gonna give you lines but then we just decided to do a close-up on your butt it's like, and you know, she can't have people understand her for anything else. Exactly. I know that you've done just to segue into something else. I know that you've done so many different ventures and so many different things. Where do your true passions actually lie? Yeah, I have, I have created many a business and I've had many a business fail. Um, and that's kind of, actually, I was, <laughs> I was talking to that with my colleagues today. Cause we were talking about imposter syndrome and I was like, I actually, I mean, I have it once in a while, but I don't really have it. Um, and I like felt bad about that, but it's cause I like to be so like impetuous and impulsive cause my anxiety doesn't have any room to like breathe. And then you do a lot of trial and error. And then all of a sudden mistakes don't feel that bad. Like, okay, let's learn from it. Um, but I would say passion. I mean, the, the, the passions that always kind of like, there's a new thing that comes about, but I think in general, at the end of the day, everything is about creating spaces for people to interact with each other or themselves in new ways without them kind of realizing it. So creating, so I had something called pass the porn where people would watch porn and at like a venue at a club and then have conversations. So it's like, okay, I'm normalizing this by like, you're going to watch porn next to like your sister-in-law or something, or like, and then you have a conversation around it. You both, you all just watch porn in a public setting. I'm pretty sure you can talk to a stranger now. Um, or with the Cirque to Squirt events, people are engaging with these really, really silly games that are loosely kind of tied to or involve something sexual or kinky, but they're not realizing it. So like, you're going to be a cis man, you put on a strap on to play cock ring toss. And it's like, Hey, you just put on a strap on and it wasn't weird and it didn't change anything about you. You just had a good time Um, or creating this like fun environment where it's normalized to interact with these things. So it's really user experience and, or user interface. If it's online, that really gets me jazzed. I was just going to say, I can definitely hear, I feel like the keyword is you like creating environments or settings for people to explore who they are in like a very comfortable setting and like not shame them, not make them feel judged, but just allow them 
the space to be and experiment and learn, which is really amazing. Yeah. And I mean, that space can be online. It can be in person. It can be an event. It can be a class. It can be a session. Um, it like, you know, it doesn't matter what the container is necessarily that just influences how sorry, we can use it. Did you say that again? Oh, I'm sorry. That was my watch. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, but yeah, I was just saying that like, it just in the container influences like what we can and can't do in the space. And do you feel like by creating these spaces, you're allowing the narrative for sex to change and kind of become more just like everyday norm? Yeah, I want it to be not that big of a deal. Um, and I think sometimes it's like there is the kind of like shock value of it of like, I'm going to make sure you see something weird that you can talk to about your friend tomorrow. But I'm making something that you're going to talk to about your friend tomorrow. Or one of the really interesting things when we had the very first Cirque to Squirt, which was the, the kinky carnival where I set the squirting world record, we noticed that people were just like taking social media videos and posting it. And it's just like, there is no shame in that. There is no shame in playing this fun, weird carnival game or someone drawing like a, a frog in the shape of a dick on your face. And you post that and it's not a big deal and it's fun and games. And there's something that's really beautiful about that. I was just going to ask you about the Cirque du Squirt because I know I'd seen the flyer on your Instagram. So what exactly, this is another event that you created? Yeah, an another happy accident. The best things are happy accidents, actually. They really are. <laughs> um, but this was an event that I had created when I decided I was going to set the squirting world record. And I was like, okay, well, mama doesn't do things small. Also, I got to make some money here. Let's profit off of what I'm about to do. Um, so I created a whole event around it. That was just kind of my like weird brainchild that um, a bunch of my like friends and colleagues helped me throw together. And you know, the pandemic kind of had a really large gap between when that happened and the next one. But now we're going to be doing at least two in New York this year. You're invited um, <laughs> that we're beginning doing in the, the summer and the fall. Um, but essentially, it's it is a it's a kinky carnival. It's a space where you can play weird ass carnival games led by our sex carnies. And there's a bunch of really odd and shocking and fun, thought provoking performances throughout the night. Um, and just a general good time. It's really, really queer focused. Um, we try to make it um, as accessible as we can. And yeah, it's just like the, you know, it's just the weird, weird circus of my dreams. But I, I pride it on, especially with the performances, it has, the performances have to be fucked up in nature. I don't just want a pretty performance or if it's pretty, there has to be something in it that either grosses me out, makes me go, holy shit, um, or all of the above. <laughs> Ooh, can you give us like an example of some of the performances that you've had, like, I guess in the past? Yeah, we've, um, we've done things with needles and swords. Um, someone put a needle in their vulva. Um, loved that act. Uh, there was one where they made a human clown car, um, out of someone. And then they all tried to get in the clown car. So there was some fisting involved in other orifices. Um, what they're oh seasonal depression clown which was maybe one of my favorite acts um I'm not going to give that one away because I think it's going to return because we we created that act together and it was hilarious uh there was oh we had strong woman so we had like this person opera gaga who is her entire body is a muscle she's insane Ooh. she does opera she does aerial she does pole um but she's strong so she was our strong woman and she did everything in heels it was phenomenal where do you um, find all these like where do you find these people to do these acts um 
I mean, scouting or through interaction. Um, I used to perform at the box, or I guess sometimes I still do. And I remember when it was my first time performing there years ago, and I went to go to a show before I performed there, I remember there was someone who was doing a needle act, not the person that I hired. And it ended with them sewing their pussy shut. That was the grand finality. And people were grossed out. People were leaving. There was so much reaction. And I was like, I don't like needles. And I was like, this was great. You got, <laughs> you got those people to leave. Like it was phenomenal. And I just love that someone could have a performance that like takes you by surprise or makes you laugh or causes a visceral reaction um, within you. So I, I pulled a lot from my time at the box and what I learned there um, from Rosewood, who's kind of their like, you know, performer for years and years and years. Um, but just through working at so many different events, interacting with people. Um, some of it is just people that we've scouted or people that have been referred, but other things are like individuals who are really creative and it's like, Hey, concept something for this event. I'll pay you. I love that. And I feel like you're a very creative individual. So do you do anything to kind of feed your creativity or like, what do you do to kind of help release your creativity? I, I mean, for this, I love coming up with acts. I think it's really it's, that's another way to like take people on a journey and make them realize something. And I usually like to involve something that like turns people on that they're like, well, that's a new thing. Um, so one time it was just like a bunch of, um, men and mass people that were in these really flimsy loincloths and they fought each other and then they made out with each other. Um, and like, like yeah, it was really <laughs> hot. And it's just like, I don't care who you are. Everyone's going to think this is hot the way that I've set it up. Um, and then I like poured squirt all over them at the end. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, but I usually just think of like both of what kind of Rosewood taught me in terms of like how to structure an act and then thinking of it with music. But I mean, with what I do, since it's largely squirting acts, you have to think of what's a scenario where water exists and that's part of it. And like, then I'm going to replace the water with my squirt, obviously. And I kind of figure out what's the aha moment. And then how do I build up to that? Oh, I love that. <laughs> so it is like a very thought, like a lot of conceptual thinking of like, how can I push this to make it even grander than last? Yeah. Or like, I need to do this at some point. And like, I feel like that's a lot of my pro-dom friends are just like, this thing has to happen at some point. And last year it was like, I need to do some sort of take on Miss Congeniality with the water glasses, but it will be squirt. And so that happened. I, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, it was, it's very difficult because at first I was just like, I can't learn how to play the water glasses. This is way too hard. And I was like, you know what? We're going to drag it. We're going to just do music and we're going to pretend that I'm doing it. Oh, I love just like, it's a little bit of show magic, a little exactly. bit of show magic. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at drag though. I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> is there what I guess since you have done so much, what is left on your bucket list to do? Um, I mean, there's things that I'm working on right now. Definitely a book was on the bucket list and that's been something I've been kind of tooling around. I've come up with things. I've, I've written a whole book that's going to go in the garbage. Um, but I do have a concept now that I'm just working on the proposal for, but it's hard when you're doing so many other things and you don't have the book deal. So that's one of them, um, creating, I mean, right before the pandemic, the goal was to make more of a digital workspace and have a lot of online workshops, check that one off. Um, but doing more like speaking engagements while I travel, doing more of these events and traveling them around too. Um, I mean, there's so many things where like this could be like the idea was thrown out around to like 
buy a summer camp and have some of our like pro dom boot camps and workshops and things like that there where people can sleep there. And it's like, that'd be super cool, but let's just, let's see where we get with what we're building with seven days of domination, um, as well as a confidence building school that I actually just got out of a meeting of, and we're, we're working on launching that this year. So like, those are all the long-term ones, but the confidence school is one where it's, we're like, this has to happen this year. We've had this idea for a couple of years, the pandemic ate into it mainly, but it's, it's a good idea and it needs to happen. It's funny that you said that because that was one of my last questions for you that I, I guess we can just segue into now. Yeah. I was going to ask you, where does your confidence stem from? Um, it's, I don't think there's like an easy answer to that. I think I just through domination and understanding power dynamics and just being able to really question those, you kind of realize how everything you thought was true is a lie. And you just realize all these different power structures and you're just able to look into things and being like, this person has no power. Or if that person seems like an opportunist, I see what's going on there. And you're just able to look at those situations differently. And like I was saying before, it's quiet. It's about being comfortable in being uncomfortable um, and just being able to be objective and like, this is fine. This is okay. I don't need to assert power here. Um, this isn't a, like, I don't, if you're threatening my power, I still have to give that away to you. So I think it's more about understanding where we consciously or unconsciously give our power away and, you know, how not often it's really necessary to utilize. Um, and a lot of it's just really taking a back seat and just observing at the same time. So I think, I mean, I don't know if I was really always a confident person. There is probably definitely more than the average person, which I think has to do with just being impetuous, um, and just being impulsive and, and choosing to do that as well of like, I'm going to jump into the pool. Cause then I can't think about not jumping in the pool once <laughs> I'm in there. Um, so it's kind of a combination of that, but I don't know. It's like, after you squirt on stage in front of a hundred people while you're on your period, there's nowhere else. Like that was it that once I did that, I was like, I can do literally anything. Literally it's fine. No, honestly, that, that even makes it that much more amazing. Like I feel like your biggest thing is just, just do it. Like, why not? And I, I love that. Cause that, I feel like that's the mentality that I'm really trying to shape and cultivate with this above the mean is I feel like oftentimes people let their fear disable them and prevent them from doing what it is they're passionate about or doing just even something they're curious about. And I really love picking the mind of people who have that mentality of just do it. Like, why not? And I would say that like, you know, make sure you're still doing your research and keeping yourself safe and all these things. But I think specifically if what's preventing you from doing it is doubt, whether that's self-doubt or whether that's external doubt, whether that's fear or insecurity, like think about, well, if that wasn't like, what is that preventing you from doing that immobilizes us so often? And I think it's realizing that those things are largely superficial and like, they're not going to hurt us and we'll be fine. You'll survive. Um, then, then it's like, okay, yeah, then do it. Then just do the thing. It's okay. Um, we worry about like what people will think of us for making a fool of ourselves so often. And I mean, I think that's one thing we can learn from impetuous and impulsive me is that when you do it, you don't have any room to think, like worry about making a fool of yourself. Cause also like no one cares that much. And if they do, they're wasting their time caring. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, at the end of the day, you need to live your life for you. And I think that's the most important part. Like, I feel that 
a lot of times we let society dictate what we should do just because of fear of being judged or being not taken as seriously or just like there's so many different factors or barriers in our way. And once you realize and remove them that all you really need is you, I feel like you have a clear pathway to whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. And a great way to start doing that in the process is understand where you place judgment onto other people and stop doing that because you're contributing to their thing. Um, but that's a, you know, it's hard to think about other people accepting us. So you need to work on like, how does that, how do you shame people? How do you place judgment on people? Um, like when those go through your mind, you have to start questioning those things and also stop doing it. No, I think that's really good. That's a really good takeaway to have. Um, Lola, this has been an amazing conversation. I really, really appreciate just you being so transparent with me, letting me dive into your world and just sharing all your experiences and all your knowledge. Yeah. And and talking about my embarrassing candle fire and shitting my pants story. (laughs) I love it. Honestly, that was way better than what I was expecting or anticipating. So thank you for that. That really, yeah, (laughs) I was like, hands down. Those are definitely the two most embarrassing moments of my life. I feel, but I feel that you should, helps, you. the more you talk about it, the less I'm giving less power away to it. Um, but I, the first time I talked about both of those, I was, yeah, I felt bad. <laughs> I was going to share, I feel like I should share something equally embarrassing just so that we're on the same okay. footing. Uh, cause I was trying to think when I was typing this question, I was like, if I had to answer this, what would it be? And then it came to me. I think one of the most embarrassing when I had, uh, It was like a few years ago, I had someone who kind of cut my hair really bad, like it was really short. And so I would wear like these ponytail extensions until it grew back out just because like for confidence, I didn't I didn't like it. And at the time I was working as valet. So I was running, I was parking cars and I was running to get someone's car when it was a windy day and all of a sudden, I just feel this gush of wind hit me and I feel lighter and I'm looking around and I noticed my ponytail had fallen off. And so I'm running through this parking lot trying to chase my ponytail. I dive into the bushes once I got it, quickly try to put it back on. And all I see is just this couple looking at me just like, are you OK? Like I just <laughs> full panic mode was trying to do everything so quickly trying not to be seen and I just remember being so red in the face like I felt like there was nothing more embarrassing and what what would you have done if that happened to you now now I feel like I would laugh it off because I feel like I very much embraced my embarrassing nature like I constantly do embarrassing things I feel like I've just accepted it and have embraced it at this point like I went to the Apple store the other day because I got a new Mac and I was telling them, oh, like I need new headphones like uh, this one doesn't have the proper jack because I I don't know if you've seen the new Macs. They have like a new kind of port. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, what do you mean? Like, it's the same. And I was like, no, like there's a new charging port. Like I need a new headphone jack port. And he was like, did you look on the other side of the laptop? And I instantly was just like you know what? You have a good day, sir. Like I've just (laughs) wasted your time. And I got back and looked on the other side and little lo and behold, no, it's the same port. Like I just didn't look and that's okay. You know, sometimes you just kind of go with it. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm an idiot. That's fine. (laughs) Exactly. And so you just got to embrace it. You got to embrace who you are because it just makes you that much more lovable. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And admit it, talk to it. Like people, they probably don't care. They're not going to judge you the way you're judging yourself. No one will. You're the best at it. You know, you <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, Lola, thank you again so much. This was honestly uh, amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for this episode. I hope you learned a lot and got maybe a good chuckle or two along the way. You can find the links to Lola's Instagram as well as her classes in the show notes. Make sure to tune back in next week for my second episode in my two-part series about women entrepreneurs who are empowering people to be more confident in themselves through sex education. Next week, you'll hear me chat with Marla Stewart, a sexologist and author who runs her own sexuality education company. We really dive into mental health aspect of sexual education, as well as racism in kink spaces. Once again, thank you for listening to Above the Mean Podcast. If you liked it, make sure to comment and subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to our Instagram. I'll be uploading highlight clips and bonus reels from the podcast. And as always, remember... Don't settle for average. Rise above the mean and stand out.